Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Titus and chapter number three. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and turn to page 168 in the back part of that, and you would be at Titus 3. You know, if you have your eyes open, it's, it's not uncommon to see some examples of distasteful fashion out there. For example, it wasn't too long ago that Lady Gaga actually was wearing a raw meat dress. Actually, it was real raw meat, 40 pounds of it. I don't know about you, but I find that a little bit distasteful to myself. There's other kinds of examples of distasteful fashion. For example, a young man who had his earlobe pierced and expanded, and so he could put a Coke light can in his ear. More power to him if he wants to do that, but that just seems distasteful to me. And I can tell from the groans to a number of you. But there's also distasteful spiritual fashion out there in the world. And one example of that is a small Baptist church called Westboro Baptist Church. And you may have heard of them in the news where they have gone to picket at the funeral of soldiers who were killed in action. And they do this in front of the soldiers' families, mocking the death of their sons and daughters. They show up with signs that say things like this, thank God for 9-11 when we were attacked on September 11th. They hold up signs that say things like, thank God for dead soldiers. They hold up signs that say things like, God killed your sons, pray for more dead soldiers. Their signs are really signs often of outright hate towards homosexuals. Um, they display behavior that is inconsiderate, crude, rude, and crass. They are very frequently just vicious and heartless at these protests. Now, as distasteful as that would be, if you were interacting from somebody from this church, what passage would you point to to show them that such behavior is out of sorts for a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, one such passage you might take them to would be the book of Titus in chapter number 3 and verses 1 to 3. We've been involved in a, a study we've called Designer's Fashion, Adorning the Doctrine of God in Every Respect. And in the weeks previous to this, we've looked at some principles of godly manhood and some principles of godly womanhood. We've looked at godliness at the workplace. The title for today's message is Godliness in Our Community Life. And I want to read the very last verse of chapter 2 and the first three verses of chapter 3 and would invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read these verses. Paul tells Titus, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, 
showing consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Now, the outline that I have for us today involves really three things in these three verses. The first thing we're going to see is godliness towards rulers, the godliness we are to display towards rulers, then godliness towards everyone, and then in verse 3, we're going to see some pivotal perspective that really helps us as we live out godliness in those two arenas. But what I want to do is I want to start with verse 15 of chapter 2. And uh, this verse really serves as a hinge verse. When he says, these things, it can actually go back to the first verse in the chapter when he says, as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And then he teaches a number of those things. But also when he says these things, it also, I think, in a hinge manner, refers to chapter 3 and the things that are contained there. So he says these things, what I've already talked about in chapter 2, what I'm going to talk about in chapter 3, I want you to speak. In other words, don't be silent on these things. Don't let this be something that the Christian community doesn't hear. And you are to exhort, you are to encourage and advise other believers to display these things in their life. You are to reprove, which means to correct and to admonish. Don't just be a people pleaser. You know, it says in Proverbs 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And a friend will correct us when we need to be corrected. And he said, do these things with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I want to make several observations about that phrase. One thing is just a reminder that when we're looking at these things, these are not Paul's ideas, they're not Titus's ideas, they're not Bruce's ideas. You know, so often we hear people say, well, that's only your opinion. No, the things we're going to look at are the very will of the God of grace. And another thing that I noticed this when he says you need to speak, exhort, and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you, what he's really saying is that someone who is a spiritual leader, who is spiritually mature, needs to communicate these things, needs to reason with other believers, needs to help clarify and appeal to them to display these things in their life. And the third thing I want to observe about that little phrase that's there is that it appears to me that there was an authority problem at Crete that was fed by pride, that was basically having this attitude, don't meddle with me, don't tell me how to live my life, don't correct me, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And part of what we all need to be reminded of is that when we're a follower of the Lord Jesus, it's all about Him. It's all about honoring Him. It's all about adorning the doctrine of God in every respect in our life. Now, as we talk about godliness in our community life, the first thing he addresses in chapter 3 and verse 1 is godliness towards rulers. Notice he says to them in verse 1, remind them. What does that tell us? 
that tells us right away that Paul had taught them when he was there at Crete, he had taught these very principles. Now he is saying to Titus, you need to remind them of what I taught. You know, sometimes as believers, we lack spiritual information. But more frequently than that, we need to be reminded about what we've already heard. You know, it is interesting, we have been involved in representing Wildwood at presenting at the Family Life Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway for 17 years. You know what? I've heard all of that material before. I've presented all that material before. But every time I go, I go with the attitude, what do I need to be reminded of? And every single time, every single time, I'm going, ooh, I forgot that. Oh, I've, I've kind of lost perspective there. And God is constantly calling me up. And he's doing that for all of us, calling us up. In 2 Peter 1.12, Peter said to those believers, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. So some of what we're going to see is maybe something we already knew, but we need to be reminded of. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities that we're to be subject to government leaders and government authorities. And I, I know enough about the history of Crete to know that the Cretans at Crete had a very low view of the law. They had a very low view of government authority. They tended to be a people as a people group who were defiant and obstinate and headstrong and bullheaded. Somewhat reminds me of, of really our history and background, even as Americans. It's not uncommon in our culture for us to be like that. It's a very common attitude that we tend to have towards our rulers. They're stupid. They're idiots. They have no clue. And isn't it interesting, he says to the believing community, you are to be subject to them. You are to line up under their leadership. And then he goes on to say, to be obedient there, to follow their directives. I think even the believing community, we can develop this attitude. You know, listen, I know the king of kings, so I don't really have to pay that much attention to what earthly authorities and earthly rulers have to say. But alas, that's not what the New Testament teaches us. Keep your finger in Titus. Journey with me several books to the left to the book of Romans and chapter number 13, Romans 13. This was an ongoing common problem in all of the communities of the New Testament era, just as it is in our era. And in Romans 13.1, Paul writes, he says, every person, how many people get left out of that one? Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities but notice this, for there is no authority except from God. And those authorities which exist are established by God. Therefore, now the whole idea here is that government authority is delegated. Do you ever think that thought? No matter who is in a position of authority, they've been delegated that position by God. God has allowed that to happen. And he goes on to say, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, 
and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if your, your government or the government officials are deeply pagan? What if they're just clueless? What if they're just completely out of whack? Doesn't that change everything? No. In fact, you, you know that the supreme government authority, as Paul wrote these words, was the Roman emperor Nero. And Nero was highly pagan. Nero was openly homosexual. Nero had a reputation for being unjust and cruel. And yet Paul says, we need to line up under the leadership of the governing authorities. Notice, you can read through the rest of these verses, but go down in chapter 13 of Romans to verse 6. Talks about paying taxes here, and he says, For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear or respect to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Even if the governing authorities aren't what they should be from a biblical perspective, we are still to line up under them. We're still to be obedient, which really means we're to pay taxes. And even the Lord Jesus was like this. In Luke chapter 20, verses 22 to 25, uh, he was asked about, should you pay tax to Caesar? And he basically was saying, yes, it's right to pay tax to Caesar. In Matthew 17, verses 24 to 27, the issue came up, should we pay the temple tax? Something that had been the religious authorities had come up with. And basically, Jesus says, yeah, it's, it's right for us to pay the temple tax. We are to be subject to, we're to be obedient to the authorities and to the rulers. Now, go back to Titus. And I just want to mention, though, there is an exception to this. And that is when the governing authorities tell us to do something that is a direct violation of Scripture. For example, in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told that they needed to worship before this image. And they didn't because God said you shouldn't do that. In Acts chapter 5 verse 29, the disciples, the apostles were told that they needed to stop preaching the gospel by the government. And they didn't do that because they were commanded to be preaching the gospel. It's a direct violation of what Scripture says. We, we obey God rather than we obey the government. But in all of those cases, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the apostles, they were willing to pay the consequences of their disobedience. We're not above the law because we know the king of kings. Now notice he goes on to say back in Titus 3.1, that they should be ready for every good deed. To be subject to rulers, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Let me give you the Bruce Hess paraphrase of that. Actively look for an opportunity to be a blessing. Actively look for an opportunity to be a blessing. And when we're relating to the government, one way that we do that is that we are a good citizen, that we be a good citizen, that we speak out, that we vote, that we get involved in the political process. 
Another way that we can look for an opportunity to be a blessing is that we can be willing to serve. We need more Christian politicians. We need more Christian representatives. We need more Christian judges. Actively look for the opportunity to be a blessing. So the first thing he addresses is godliness towards rulers. The second thing he addresses is godliness towards everyone in verse 2. Now, I'm always impressed how amazingly frank the Word of God is. And let's just be transparent about it. It It's very easy for us as followers of Jesus to think, you know what, we're enlightened and we can develop this superior attitude where we look down our noses at those in the pagan world. Ever had that attitude when you hear about some of the things that are going on in the news and you just think, idiots, they got no clue. And we become frustrated with their stupidity and frustrated with their foolishness. And because they're not followers of Jesus, well, we just start to view them as inferior and we relate to them in a very inconsiderate kind of a manner. And in verse 2, Paul tells us what we're not to do. And then in verse 3, he gives us the reason why we're not to do that. That's a pivotal perspective we're going to look at when we get there. So when we talk about godliness towards everyone, look what it says there in verse 2. He says, remind them to malign no one. Now, if you mark your Bible, underline those words, no one. Who is included in no one? Everybody. Malign no one. The verb here in the original is blasphemeo, B-L-A-S-P-H-E-M-E-O. The NIV translates it slander. The New Living Translation translates it speaking speak evil of. The idea of blasphemeo is to treat someone with contempt, to damage them verbally, to express disdain for them. By the way, this one directive alone should redirect the approach of the Westboro Baptist people. And, and In fact, think about a lot of these protests that are going on, and what do you see in these protests? you see people being maligned. They're being slandered. They're spoken evil of. They're treated with contempt. Disdain, very heavy disdain is expressed. Now, when we talk about everyone is not to be maligned, for us, that includes those that we live near, those that we work with, those that we go to school with, those that we are related to. Remind them to malign no one. In Colossians 4, 6, it says, let your speech always be with grace. That means gracious, as though seasoned with salt. When something's seasoned with salt, it is pleasant. And that is the way our speech is to be. I mean, why would we think about this? Why Would we treat another human being with contempt? 
when they were created in the image of God? Why would we treat another human being with contempt when Christ died for them? Not just for you, but for them. Remind them to malign no one. Also to be peaceable. You know, a lot of the terms that we see here that are directed towards the body at large are all marks of maturity. The same term is used in 1 Timothy 3.3 of elders. We're to be peaceable. That's another one of those alpha privative words. It's, you know, the word, and then they just put the A in front of it. This is a word for quarreling. We're to not be quarreling. I think the ESV translates it, avoid quarreling. In other words, we're not to be sowing discord. We're not to be out picking a fight. We're not to be out being a troublemaker. We're not to be an instigator and an agitator. Malign no one. Be peaceable. Be gentle. Again, that's another one of those terms that's in the the category of terms in in 1 Timothy 3.3 for elders. So those marks of maturity of elders are marks of maturity for all of us. The NIV, I think, translates the word here, gracious. This word here, gentle, is the opposite of being abrasive and belligerent and domineering. In other words, we're to be a conciliator. We're, We're to be a peacemaker. And then it goes on to say, showing every consideration for all men. The NIV says, show true humility to everyone. The ESV says, show perfect courtesy towards all people, all sexes, all races, all religions. See, this idea is the very opposite of the idea of being superior or being arrogant or being dogmatic or being insensitive. The word that comes to my mind is winsomeness. That's the way we are to be. To everybody, every race, every religious group. And by the way, these terms as I said, are marks of maturity that are set out for elders, which are really set out for everything because elders should display maturity. But you do remember that these marks of maturity are ultimately characteristics that reflect the person of Christ or Christ's character. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul says, I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Those are the exact same words as the last two phrases in this verse. In other words, what he's really calling us all to is to be like Jesus, to be like Christ. So we have a call for godliness towards rulers and a call for godliness towards everyone. And then in verse 3, he gives us some pivotal perspective that will help us. This gives us the why I should be gracious, why I should be winsome, why I should show courtesy to other people. Verse 3, you notice it begins with the word for. This is introducing the reason. And you know what the reason is? I'll summarize it for you. As you think about people in the government, as you think about 
everyone in the community around us? The reason is, except for the grace of God, that could be me. That could be me. And he's going to give us here four different things that were once true of us also. And I want to look at them real quickly in verse 3. See, once we were darkened in our understanding. Notice he says, we were once foolish ourselves. And by the way, this is an imperfect tense in the original, which means that was sort of our constant state in the past. We were foolish. We were in darkness. We were devoid of a relationship with God. We were without understanding. We were unaware of the eternal significance of things. We were unaware of the gospel. And what happened to us? Our eyes were opened and we turned from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it said, God shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Except for if you came to Christ when you were very young, though, that's where we were once. Once we were disobedient, secondly, to God's truth. I mean, we were just unaware. We were into the do-it-my-way thing. And we were choosing to ignore what Scripture said about sin and judgment and the gospel. You know, it's amazing to me that the accountability of our culture, because our culture has more opportunity to know the truth of God than anyone in human history has ever had. We have more Bibles out there. We have more Christian books. We have more Christian radio. We have all this stuff on the internet. And yet, we tend to be disobedient to God's truth. Thirdly, we once were deceived by misinformation. I mean, that was true before Christ. We were led astray by what we thought was reality, what was really fantasy and foolishness. I can remember when I was in high school, and the, the prominent thing going around in those days was, what is really marriage? Marriage is really nothing. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Who cares? You don't need to be married. You just live together. And you know what? I can remember thinking, that makes sense to me. But when I opened up the Bible, I saw something very different. Like in Hebrews 13.4, when it says marriage should be held up in honor among all people. Whoa. Maybe the misinformation I have is way different from what God is thinking and the world, those of us who look at some of these people in government, you know, kind of down our spiritual nose, or the people that are just out there in the unbelieving world, just remember that they've been deceived. Part of the deception is the idea, well, my way is the best way. That's what they've been given to them. That's what's been drummed into their brain. Part of the deception is that the aim of life is to please yourself. It's all about what I, you know, but no, the aim of life really ultimately is to give yourself and to serve other people. Part of the misinformation, there's no creator, there's no accountability, so you just kind of do whatever you want to do. You know, the misinformation is that God is some kind of gentle, passive grandfather up there. There's no wrath, there's no judgment, there's no hell. You're not going to see those things being portrayed in the, in the media, 
Part of the misinformation that goes out there is you can earn your way into God's acceptance. The cool thing is if you're just kind of good enough, better than most, that you'll get in. See, all kinds of misinformation. Number four, we were once dominated by living for self. It says there in verse 3, we were enslaved to various, it means multifaceted lusts and pleasures. See, before we came to Christ, we couldn't break our bad habits. 2 Peter 2.19 says, you are a slave to whatever controls you. And a lot of us, before we came to Christ, were controlled by all kinds of things. We were just stuck in, well, if you desire it, go for it. If it feels good, you do it. We were dominated by living for ourselves. He says in verse 3, you were spending our life in malice and envy. You know, malice is the response that you have when you don't get your way. It's a response you have when another doesn't do what you demand them to do. And envy, being envious of others because of what they have and because of the way that they look. We were dominated by living for self, being hateful and hating one another. The New Living Translation is we hated others and they hated us. I mean, apart from Christ, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And we can have resentment towards those in higher positions. We can have resentment towards those in lower positions. We can have resentment towards those who get promotions that we don't. See, that's the way we once were, he says. Of course, it all changed with the next verse where it says, but, but God got involved. See, really what he's saying is this. Where do we get off and how can we justify by looking at those without Christ with some sort of a superior attitude to treat them with disrespect and disdain and contempt. I mean, where do we really get off being defiant and bullheaded and disobedient towards those in authority, being an instigator and an agitator? Where do we get off treating people that are outside of Christ in a rude and crude and crass way? See, we're called to stand for the truth, but we're also called to live for the truth, that we're to be gracious and winsome like Christ. We're to adorn the doctrine of God in every respect. We're to be actively looking for an opportunity to be a blessing. We're called to display godliness in our community life. So men and women, this is the kind of stuff we need to hear. I want to talk about some life response that we can have to what we've looked at today. And that life response involves three words, review, rejoice, invite. You don't want to just look at the Word of God like you would look in a mirror and see something that needs to be corrected and walk away from it. First thing I believe we need to do is we need to review. We need to do an attitude inventory. What is our attitude towards rulers and those in authority? You see, we can disagree without being defiant and disorderly. We need to do an attitude inventory. What is really our attitude towards those without Christ? rather than disparaging them and ridiculing them. We can pray for them. 
second thing is to rejoice. To rejoice. To praise God for the transformation that he has wrought in our life. Just to thank him. He didn't leave us in that kind of darkness, floundering around when we didn't know up from down and left from right. We need to just praise him for his great mercy towards us. We didn't deserve to be rescued. To praise him and, and to rejoice in the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us. And then the third thing we can review, we can rejoice, is to invite. Next Sunday's Easter Sunday, and we're going to be talking about the reasonableness of the resurrection. We're going to talk about the very core of what our faith is all about. It's a great time to invite someone to be here. On the 15th of the month, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 4 to 7, and there's going to be a gospel message developed. It's going to be the whole focus of the morning. It's a great time to invite someone. Because our goal is that they would be filled with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much again for the Scriptures that we know we have need we have need of someone communicating these things to us, to encouraging us, and yes, even to correcting us and reproving us. And we thank you that the Word of God is able to do those things. And Father, may we just be men and women who are all about displaying godliness in every dimension of life. Because ultimately, we have, we have so much to be grateful. May we honor him. We pray these things in Jesus' name.